Any Lord of the Rings fans? In the, I reckon probably 30% of the room, never seen it. Came out in 2003, guys, so you know. Get on board. Um, I'm a massive Lord of the Rings fan. Grew up watching all of the films. I haven't read the books, though, but um, loved the films growing up. Uh, if, if you haven't seen it, um, Legolas is the best character. Um, he's my absolute favourite. He was my favourite growing up. Um, just for example, um, he, uh, he takes down a whole massive elephant thing on his own, right? Uh, he, he also uses uh, like the shield of an enemy as a skateboard whilst he's like doing his arrows. Pretty cool. And also he, um, he can see really far into the distance, which um, for a kid who's had glasses since he was four, that's like a really big deal. Um, so Legolas, he's the best one. Um, uh, I also, I really wanted a life-size Legolas bow when I was like 12. Um, and that is something you can buy on the internet, guys. Uh, but my parents wouldn't spend the 3,000 pounds on it for some reason. So um, yeah, thanks for nothing, mum and dad. Um, but yeah, love Lord of the Rings. Um, but again, if you're not familiar with the story, Legolas isn't really the main character. Um, that's probably Frodo. Um, but there's also this guy called Aragorn, right? I'm coming off as such a nerd here, but I'm just going to lean into it. Um, so there's this guy called Aragorn, and he is like this long-forgotten king, right? Um, and across uh, the course of the story, he's going to reclaim his rightful place as the king. I don't really give a spoiler warning for a film that came out in 2003, so that's what happens, guys. Uh, he kind of reclaims his place as the king. And so The Lord of the Rings, in part, um, is, uh, as, as the title of the third film lets us know, in part is a story about the return of the king. And really, that tees us up pretty well for where I want to take us in today's talk. Um, maybe you can already sense the kind of biblical analogy that Tolkien uh, was getting at in The Return of the King. Because, you know, we've been in this series over the last few weeks looking at the grand story of Scripture. And really, we've been tracing some of the key themes over the last few weeks. From our unique calling as God's image bearers in creation in week one, to the promise that Abraham and his descendants are blessed to be a blessing to the world as part of God's mission to get us back to the garden. And then last week, Catherine was sharing around this theme of presence, this, again, unique calling of the people of God to be a people of his presence, a nation where God lives among his people. A holy God can live with a broken people. And today I want to offer you another key theme of this story, and it's one that I think the theologian and former bishop Tom Wright sums up really well when he makes the case that the story of Scripture really is the story of how God became king. The story of how God became king. He puts it really well in his book of the same name when he says, the central point that Matthew, Mark, and Luke in their way, and John in his own different way, so that's the gospel writers telling the story of Jesus' ministry, the main point that they're trying to make is this. This is the story of how God became king of the world. Because you see, although, yes, God never ceases to be sovereign, ever since Genesis 3, there have been other powers at work in the world. And the kingdom, as we see it in Eden, has been broken and distorted by a prince who is claiming to be king. The life and flourishing and prosperity of the kingdom has been tainted by sin and self-centeredness and envy and death. And so things are not as they should be. And so, from Abraham onwards, as we've been seeing, the Bible tells the story of the re-establishing of the kingdom of God in the world. As Tolkien knew all too well, informed by his Christian faith, it's a story about the return of the king. So, um, really, what I want to do with the time we have today is to immerse ourselves in the story of this king and what he's, what he's like. 
How did he become king? What kind of king is he? And ultimately, really, I want to ask, is he the king of your life? Do you know him? And so the way that we're going to do that is through the lens of arguably the greatest king that this nation of Israel ever had, King David. Maybe you've heard of him. So we're just going to dive right in with the story of David, if that's okay. Um, and we're actually going to cover from the end of the book of Judges all the way to the New Testament, which is like, you know, most of the Bible today. So strap in. Um, it's going to be great, though. So okay, okay, we're going to dive in. So we pick up the story today. We're just a few steps on um, from where we were last week with this young nation of Israel. Um, and they're beginning to establish themselves in the land that God had promised to them, right? They're in the promised land that Moses was leading them to. Um, but it's not gone that well so far. Moses is long gone, actually, um, and the couple of leaders after him have done a decent job, but uh, in the 300 years or so after that, it really starts to unravel. Um, You can read all about it in the book of Judges, time after time, leader after leader. They try and live God's way, but they just get progressively worse, and we see this sort of downward spiral of infighting and rivalry and violence, and the people of God seem further from Eden than they've ever been. The last line of the book of Judges rather depressingly reads, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone's just doing whatever they want. And you know, just to pause here, that makes me think a little bit. That kind of sounds like today. Everyone does whatever they want. Um, You know, there's kind of this great myth in the West that we're on this like upward trajectory, up and to the left, that things are just steadily improving. And look how far we've come since 3000 BC. But really? Have we? It seems like that line from Judges could have been written today. And so words from 3000 years ago are just as culturally incisive now as they were then. And so Israel needs a king. And they ask for one. They actually plead with God that he would give them a king, just like every other nation around them. Which, big red flag that. You know, you have Israel, who are supposed to be this unique, distinctive, missional community called out from every other people group to be God's image in the world. And they're saying, can we just be like everybody else? Give us a king like everybody else has. Big red flag. The alarm bells should be ringing. But God graciously grants their request. And so they get Saul as their first king, the first king of Israel, Saul. And he's tall, dark, handsome, impressive. Uh, He's like the first choice, right? He's, He's the guy that everybody wants. He's exactly the kind of person that you would expect to step up and lead. Strong, good with a sword, militarily kind of proven as a leader. And very long story short, he flops massively. Because although Saul is powerful, impressive, he ends up misusing his power for his own gain. Growing wealthy and taking what he can. And here's the key thing, he's more concerned with building his kingdom than God's. And it all comes crashing down around him. And really I want to say that is what kingship looks like on our terms. Just back to Lord of the Rings, it's kind of like everything that the ring represents. It's like a lust for power and desire to conquer and kind of rule through force. Or linking it back to our story, Saul makes the mistake of Genesis 3 all over again. I'll do it my way. I'm in charge. I don't need God. I wonder, do you ever think like that? 
I know I do. I'll do it my way. I'm in charge. See, King Saul's great mistake was forgetting who the real king was, forgetting who his God was, and he fails because of it. And so do you know who's really in charge of your life? Who's calling the shots in your story? So Saul's failed. King one, failure. Enter David. It's the second king of Israel. And I want us to note the contrast here between these two kings. I think it's intentional and the biblical authors want us to see it because through these contrasting kings, we begin to get a picture of what a king is supposed to be like in God's kingdom. Okay, so here we go. Little biography of David. David, he's the youngest of eight sons, as we read. And that is not a good thing in 1000 BC. Um, Firstborns are the important ones. Um, David is eighth. And he's young when we meet him. He's not even old enough to join the army, let alone lead a nation. He's also a shepherd. We read that he was out tending the flock. Again, not a great job in these days. In fact, it's pretty much the lowest of the low. And we read that he's physically small as well. So all of this, he's not someone you'd expect to lead. And yet, as we read, God has rejected the impressive but unfaithful Saul And he passes over each of the older brothers, stronger brothers, and it's David who was anointed as king. God chooses David. As Sandra Richter says, unlike Saul, who was the people's choice, David is God's choice. Where where God gave Saul to Israel because they demanded him, David is quietly called by God out of obscurity in 1 Samuel 16. And so again, I just want to pause and say, I wonder if you feel insignificant today or any day. Not the person to lead or have any type of impact, really, unseen, unheard. Maybe you feel like that sometimes. Maybe you've asked yourself before, can God really use me? Well, here we have a small shepherd boy from a tiny town in the middle of nowhere, and yet this is the king God wants. Humble, outwardly unimpressive, but with a faithful heart. As it says just a few verses before our reading, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He's also a man of worship. Um, He's responsible for writing 73 of the Psalms, something for which I have great admiration as the worship pastor here. I could do a whole talk on David just as the model worship leader, um, if I'm honest. But um, the point there is that he's someone who knows God intimately, who walks with him, is honest with him, asks him for help and pours out his soul to God in the secret place. You know, his faith is alive and real. He knows who God really is and what he's like. And arguably we see that no clearer than in one of the most famous stories of David, his battle with Goliath. And so we have Goliath, and he's this mountain of a man fighting for the enemies of Israel. Um, And he's just spent 40 days mocking Israel, and more importantly, mocking their God. And so who should step up? to challenge him in that situation. Someone with the best weapons, uh, the best armor, the tallest maybe, someone like Saul, right? But instead up steps a boy who was too young to even answer the military draft. 
Now, where would a boy find that sort of courage? From his genuine lived experience of the faithfulness of his God. It says in 1 Samuel 17, and this is David speaking just before he faces Goliath. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. I have killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, that's Goliath, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And then here's the key sentence. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Do you hear the emphasis in what David is saying there? For David, it was God who had rescued him in the past, and it is God who would rescue him in the future. And so the kind of problematic character trait for a king isn't confidence, because David seems very confident here, but that confidence is rooted in the faithfulness and provision of God, and not in himself. David knows who the true king is, to whom he owes his very life. And so he succeeds against Goliath. And God is proven once again to be faithful. And so whilst years will pass until his coronation, eventually this unassuming, unimpressive, but faithful shepherd from Bethlehem is crowned and anointed as king of Israel. And really from that moment onwards, the structure of God's rule and reign in the nation of Israel is established. It's clear, it's what theologians call a theocracy, right? Um, God is in charge and the king is to humbly lead the people recognizing where the true power is and serving them, instructing them how to live. God calls the shots, everyone else follows. That's the structure. And so, Is that the structure of your life? Who's calling the shots? I met Tom Jones once, uh, probably about 10 years ago. Um, uh, And they say, they say never meet your heroes, right? I wouldn't call Tom Jones one of my heroes necessarily, um, although people have been accidentally mistaking my name for his for 30 years. So we do have a kind of close bond, uh, me and Tom. Anyway, I met him and um, I shook his hand. um, And let me tell you guys, limp. (laughs) It was really limp. Um, And like alarmingly soft as well. Like soft skin. Like you know, some people have soft skin, but this is like alarmingly soft skin. Um, And so I don't know what moisturizer he's using, but fair play, Tom. Um, Goodness me. So anyway, never meet your heroes, right? Um, Or people with a name remarkably similar to yours. Um, And I have to say, I sort of had a similar never meet your heroes experience this week when I was writing this talk, because this is David, right? Like I said, he's like the OG worship leader, the king after God's own heart, an absolute hero of the faith, a hero of my faith, whose lyrics have formed and informed my prayers when I don't know how to pray. And yet, even with David, we still don't get the Eden, all things new moment that it feels like everything's been leading to. Instead, in David's own life, adultery or worse with Bathsheba, murder, exploitation, in his own family, anger, revenge, more murder, and even civil war with brothers fighting brothers and selfish ambition driving it all. Because you see, although our hero starts off well, he is ultimately still Adam, 
from page one. He still goes his own way. He's still ultimately, although often faithful, at his core, broken. Even as a king chosen by God, he is still not the king. And neither is his son Solomon, who ends up even worse, or his son, who ends up even worse. And on and on, the downward spiral goes through the rest of the Old Testament in the line of the kings until their eventual demise. And the people are exiled to Babylon. And it all just sort of feels like Egypt all over again. So what are we to make of this king idea? God gave his people a king, but it doesn't seem to have worked out at all. Remember the title of our story. How God became king. Not how David became king, not even how God provided a king, but how God himself became king. See, God is the main character of the Bible. The story is about him, it all points to him. As the Bible Project, who we've used in this series, they say the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. That's like their tagline, love that. The Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And so that is exactly where this story has been heading, to Jesus himself. But just before we get there, because I know a lot of us might be familiar with that idea, maybe almost anticipating it, because we know where the story ends up, right? I just want you to take a second and try to get yourself in the mind of a first century Jewish person. Someone who doesn't know who Jesus is yet doesn't know where the story ends. But what you do know is the story so far. You know who David was, and Saul, and Moses, and Abraham, and all the others who give you a glimmer of hope that God has been working in the history of your people. But you also know Bathsheba, and Solomon, and Hezekiah, and Zedekiah, and all the other kings who led your people into the dirt. And you don't know Jesus is coming. You don't know what's on the next page of the story. And every time you get to the end of your Hebrew Bible that just stops because there's no Matthew chapter one on the next page, you're just left hoping that God shows up again soon. Will there ever be another king like David? Someone chosen by God, someone humble who knows who the real king is, someone anointed with the spirit of God. Will it ever happen? And again, maybe you feel like that sometimes. Maybe you know what it's like to be waiting for God to show up. Just stuck waiting for breakthrough. These Israelites waited 400 years between the Testaments through exile and Roman occupation and just so much, will God ever come through? And of course, we know the answer. But for the people of Israel in the first century, there is no next page of the story yet. Well, then it's into that setting, that hoping, that desperation that Jesus of Nazareth walks into view. This Jesus, born in Bethlehem, the town of David, in the middle of nowhere, this Jesus, who grew up a nobody in complete obscurity as an ordinary carpenter, this Jesus who calls himself the good shepherd, this Jesus who seems to know God so intimately that he calls him father, Jesus, who seems to rely on God for everything he needs, who says he only does what he sees his father doing, who keeps on saying the kingdom is near, who knows the law so well, it's like it's written on his heart, who who says he comes to serve 
and not be served, who heals the sick, who draws close to the outcasts, who washes the feet of his followers, who rides into Jerusalem as the nation of Israel sing Hosanna in the highest, who never puts a foot wrong and yet who dies under the banner king of the Jews. Because that's who he was. And more, he's the king. The one all the other kings looked to and swore to serve. The one David knew, the one all the songs were about, Jesus, the servant king. Not just chosen by God, but God himself taking the throne. Because you see, the thrilling act of the third act of our story shows us that he has come to establish the kingdom of God on earth once and for all. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven to take us back to the garden, to lead his people, to rescue his people, to once and for all rid the world of sin and brokenness and death. Because although he dies under a mocking sign that reads King of the Jews, he again does what no leader or king before him could do. See, Abraham died, Moses died, David died, all the other kings, they all died, but this king, he breaks free from the grip of death and walks out of the tomb to claim his throne. And he's still seated there today, ruling, reigning, shining in glory. And so is this Jesus your king? Do you know him? You know, we've had this phrase over the last few weeks, the story you live in is the story you live out. And so I want to ask you, is this the story that you're living in? Do you know this story? Has it made, has it made its way into your very bones that God is the king? That he's come in Jesus to establish his kingdom in the world and in your life? Or do you like to call the shots? Again, I know I do. What would it look like for God to be your king? to submit yourself to him, to obey him in every area of your life, in your thoughts, words, actions, finances. Maybe God is bringing to mind the thing right now that you know you need to give over to him. You can trust him with it. This king is not like all the others. He's humble and kind and gentle and he doesn't wield power for his own sake. He lays down his life for those he loves. He doesn't point the finger and accuse. Please hear that this morning. He stoops down to lift us up. He meets us where we are and calls us into more. There is nowhere safer to place your life than at the feet of this kind of king. And then I promise you, just watch what he does with your life if you do that. He gives you a purpose and a direction, a kingdom to build with him. See, life with God as king isn't just life on your knees in surrender. It's a life of calling and purpose, standing tall with your God. And it is crazy, really. This Jesus, the king, gives you and me responsibility with him in his kingdom. He says, build my kingdom wherever you are. I'm calling you here, build my kingdom. Yes, in church, but not just here. We heard this last week, he says, you're a barista, go build my kingdom there. You're a mum, go and build my kingdom there. You're in business, go and build my kingdom there. See those places flourish and grow. Make Eden a reality there. He says, I'm making all things new. So get on board and join in. 
So are you following him, doing the things that he did, living out this story under his instruction and example? And you know, um, I wasn't going to say this, it's not in the script, but it just, I, I was thinking about it yesterday when um, me and Meg went for a walk down on Leap Beach. Um, and I don't, if you're anything like me, life just feels very full a lot of the time. And there's this responsibility that I have and this thing that I need to do or this situation that's hitting me hard. And it all just feels a bit like there's so much. And I was on this walk yesterday and I just looked up and I looked at the sea and I looked at the coast, and I looked at the sunrise, and I thought, oh, there's more than just my stuff. I'm not even the main character. There's more going on. And that's my invitation, really, to you this morning, is to look up. We sang about it before. Lift my eyes, lift my eyes. There's more than just your stuff. And I also just want to say, because I know a lot of people in this room are carrying really heavy things, and I'm not meaning to minimise those things at all. All I want to do is to encourage you to see that those things fit in a story where God is king and he's making all things new. And there's freedom in that worldview to live in that story. There's freedom there to lift our eyes and see, oh yeah, there's more. God is king. The story of the Bible is an amazing story. It's a unified story that leads to Jesus, and we'll hear more about that next week. It's the story of how God became king. So is he the king of your life? Do you know the story?